Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back everyone to the Nasty Woman Club. After a short hiatus, the podcast is finally back in your ears for season three, and we're doing things a little differently this time around. This season is going to be all about sex. I want to focus on talking about topics that isn't spoken about enough in the media, from polyamorous relationships to sex education in schools to sex worker rights. But today I'm going to be focusing on post-trauma sex. Now in this episode, the words rape and sexual assault will be used. I will be speaking to two survivors of sexual assault, but they will not be discussing the details of their attack. They will be discussing, however, how the attack changed their relationship with their body and with sex, and how they are living through that today. The reason why I'm going through all this information is because I am aware this episode may be triggering for some people. And if it is triggering, please contact 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline at 13 11 14. M is a sexual assault survivor. She was attacked by a family member for several years as a teenager. I asked M before she was attacked what was her understanding and relationship like to sex, her body, and consent. I asked her this because I wanted to know how all of this changed once she experienced those traumatic events as a teenager. This is M. I grew up in a household with like my mum and my grandma and then two brothers, um, and we were sort of like raised very well aware that my grandma was previously married to a man that um, he was an alcoholic and he used to rape her and beat her. So that was spoken about quite a fair bit and, you know, it wasn't sort of dumbed down or anything. It was like, you know, the word rape and stuff was used. I guess being like maybe before the age of 12, rape didn't – I didn't understand completely what it meant. I knew that it was something bad and stuff like that. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I sort of like learned what that was more about and the repercussions and how that affects people and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, as for like sex education and all those kind of things, didn't really receive a great deal of information at, at home. It wasn't more until I was in like grade five, six and seven that – sex talks and stuff were given through school but even then it was very quite terrible now looking back on it it was just a generic like this is how a baby's made and like you know females get periods and that you know helps with the baby process but I was always very fascinated about like sex and love and relationships and I think it was more the thing that got me fascinated about sex was you know as a kid you kind of taught that sex comes with like love and you know your parents and love and so they you know they have sex and stuff like that so I think it was more like I was interested in like the love side of things of sex more than anything so it was just like to have that person that just like loves you unconditionally um I think 
that was just something that like I wanted so bad, especially like as a young teenager growing up in a bit of a, you know, dysfunctional like family. You've told me that when you were in your teenage years, for several years, you were sexually abused by a family member. When that was happening and, you know, you're going through puberty as well, your body's changing, you're confused about sex as well. What was that like then with your relationship with your body while you were being abused by a family member? So I guess my self-hatred in my body got like really extreme. I'd cover up. I have always sort of like suffered with um, being a little bit overweight, Um, not so much as a teenager, but um, my abuser at the time was, you know, making me feel even more disgusted. They'd make comments about my weight and the way I looked and the whole like mini infinity of like, no one's going to think you're pretty, no one's going to love you. Basically, you're just, you know, an awful human kind of thing. Yeah, so I definitely sort of withdrew a lot. never like wore sort of like I could even I couldn't even really wear a t-shirt to be honest like I'd feel self-conscious in that unless it was super big and super baggy um didn't like anything that showed off like my boobs and my bum so yeah I was extremely self-conscious and I guess going through puberty as well and changes like I just didn't feel I didn't feel normal um I mean I knew it was normal to not be confident within yourself and that was just sort of like meant to be that whole like part of puberty but it just didn't make sense and everyone's like oh you know like when you get older and this and that and you'll slim down or you'll this and that like you'll become more confident or you'll get a boyfriend one day and that'll make you feel better but I just kind of thought that was a bit of a cop out. So after the abuse ended did your relationship with your body and with sex change or was it something that took many years or many months to really see a change in that? I don't kind of feel like it got better. It definitely got worse when I started like having my own, you know, adult consensual relationships with people. Sex was always kind of like this weird, it almost felt like a transaction, like, you know, People are going to like you more. You're going to feel validated, this, that, and whatever. So even now, like, I'm in my 30s, and I've got to really sort of almost, like, have a mini pep talk with myself and be like, you know, I don't need sex to feel validated. I don't need sex to feel loved. Like, I don't have to do these things for people to like me because, you know, after my abuse and whatnot, I got myself into some, like, really awful situations in terms of, like, you know, sex and all that kind of stuff and feeling like I had to do particular things to, like, please people. So um, it's only been, honestly, probably the past year that I've just kind of gone, okay, like, I need to break this really shitty pattern that I'm making and go, okay, do I really want to do this or do I feel like this is expected of me because of, like, how I've been treated in the past? And you've spoken to me earlier about how in the recent years, about three years ago, you told your family for the first time about the attack. What was that like just going back? A way I sometimes say it is like it feels like a can of worms kind of thing because I can imagine from all those years ago it happened and then bringing it all up, I can imagine that you bring, like you remember things that you thought you had forgotten about. What was that like? And then having to retell that to people that had no idea about it. 
was having a conversation with my mum about this person and how, like, I just find it hard, like, I can't be around them anymore. Like, they've sort of, they've done their dash and, like, just even just the way they treated me in general and it's, like, it's hard as well being, like, a family member because it's, like, well, kind of feel obligated but yeah I basically had a conversation with mum and I was like I don't want to see this person I don't want to be around them like any family events whatever um and we were kind of speaking about that and I mentioned yeah just it being hard and she was like oh you know like I know it must be really hard like they used to abuse you and this and that like when you were younger and I was kind of like huh I was like you knew She's like, yeah, like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I haven't said anything because, like, you know, I didn't want to make it awkward and I was embarrassed and, like, whatever. Everything was in complete miscommunication. Like, this person used to sort of, like, beat on me and stuff like that. Um, nothing too, you know, too bad, but, like, you know, just, I guess, the way that family sort of brothers and sisters beat each other up and all that kind of thing. So it sort of came out that way. And I sort of had to explain to mum, like, hey, actually you know, the abuse I went through was sexual, not just sort of, like, getting roughed up. So that was really, really confronting. My mum still blames herself, which is probably, like, one of the hardest things about the whole situation. You know, I've had many, many conversations where we've both just been, like, hysterically crying. I'm like, you know, you've been, like, the best parent possible, like, you know, growing up the way that we did and hearing about, like, my grandmother and her story and, you know, my parents were, like, super big into watching, like, crime stoppers and stuff like that. It was always, like, rake this and rake that on there, which was, you know, really good. But it was spoken about, like, you know, that this is something that you don't do or people that would, as my parents would say, like, interfere with children or anything like that was, like, really horrible. So I'm like, you put it out there that it was wrong. Like, when we got older, consent was sort of brought up and we were like, especially when I started dating, mum was always like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like, don't be pressured, essentially. Yeah, I feel like I've kind of had to help my mum more than anything than sort of, like, receive that help. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard being family um, obviously, like, mum's quite torn. Yeah, I think I'm being pretty selfless in the fact that I'm like, you know, I don't want you to stop having a relationship with this person because, like, it's family and I wouldn't expect you to do that. Like, I know it's hard, but I'm just going to kind of, like, step back and let you do what you need to do. And, like, as long as I'm not involved or spoken about or anything like that, it just makes it a lot easier for me. So it's tough and it's tricky. And, you know, there's days where I kind of, like, feel betrayed by my family. I feel like if it wasn't a family member, they'd want to kill this person. But because it's a family member, it's, like, hard to hate them or have any bad feelings for them. So I kind of try and look at it from their point of view and be like, well, what must they be feeling? And, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Sandra is also a survivor of sexual assault. And she has used her experience to help others overcome trauma by becoming a certified trauma coach. But through her coaching, she doesn't focus on the trauma itself. She focuses on the transformation. I became a trauma coach because I had my own trauma that I went through and my own trauma that I healed. And I learned so much about how trauma works. Usually when we go to counseling after trauma, they help us to cope, but they can't really help us to let it go because it's so complex and everybody's different. So as a coach, I help people to look at it from a different point of view. And that helps them to release the trauma because it suddenly makes sense. 
The trauma that happened is really only a part of our story. It's just something that happened, just like anything else that happens every day. It just keeps us hostage because the emotions are involved, because we basically were mistreated, we were disrespected, our right was not taken into consideration. So that is why the trauma is stuck to us, because we internalize it, we build up a protection system, and this is well and good at the beginning. But after a few years, this protection is still there and it starts to hinder us because we are ready to heal, we are ready to let it go. And we can because the protective system is still in place. And that's what I help my clients break down step by step as their protective system so that we can release the trauma and let it go because it's really just part of our story. And it should not be more than that. I'm going to ask some very tough questions right now. Things I've asked myself and I'm sure many people have asked themselves too. How does someone have sex again after being sexually harassed or sexually assaulted? How do we feel like our bodies are ours again? How do we stop feeling like we're somehow dirty? And can we actually ever feel quote-unquote normal again? When we face trauma, especially sexual assault and rape, what happens is we're basically taking a step back. We're basically pushing our body away. We're putting a wedge between our body and our mind. Because when you've been sexually assaulted or raped, you remember everything, every touch, everything you remember. Still, even though I healed everything, I can still recall how it felt every second of it. And this will never stop. But... In order to heal, we have to reconnect with our body. We basically have to feel into our body and reconnect with it and go through the whole pain just one more time. Just one more time, that's what I tell my clients. One more time, we have to go through this. And that's how we get our sexuality back. Because depending on how severe the trauma was we had to go through or how young we were, we have a completely different viewpoint of sexuality. For some people, sexuality is something bad, something disgusting, something that you don't even want to talk about. And that's all we have to overcome because sexuality is such an important part of the whole being. Just imagine how freeing an orgasm really is. But if you're traumatized from sexual assault, it may be the exact opposite. You may push it away and say, no, this is, I don't want that. I can't have an orgasm. It's disgusting. It it makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's what people who have been sexually assaulted have to get back to. So what would be your best advice for someone that has experienced a traumatic event in their life and has affected their relationship with their bodies and also their sexuality? Well, the first advice I would give is take your time. There's no rush. And if you have a partner who doesn't understand that, he's not the right one for you. I was lucky. My husband is amazing. He knew little about my story until I started going to trauma healing and started writing the book. That's when he got the full throttle of what I actually went through. And there were nights when he wanted to touch me and I was like, no, I can't. This just feels ill. I can't. And he understood. He said, okay, not a problem. So now everything is different. Now I actually feel like I want to initiate it, which I haven't wanted in like 20 years. So it takes time, that's what I'm saying. And allow yourself to heal. Allow yourself to go back into your body and start reconnecting with your body again. At first, it may be helpful to just 
Let's put it this way. Have fun with yourself. To really reconnect with the feelings of what it feels, your own sexuality. Just explore it with yourself. I think this is a very safe way because there's no one else involved. I think the main thing we need to get out of this today is that everyone is different and everyone heals differently. Both Sandra and M experienced great deal of trauma, but both found different coping mechanisms to help them heal. What are some coping mechanisms other than the pep talks that you give to yourself that you would recommend to other survivors that have worked for you and may work for other people? So we've had a lot of really unhealthy coping mechanisms, which I don't want to, I mean, like I'm happy to talk about, but like they're quite negative and stuff like that. So, I mean, they haven't helped anyways, but now probably the best thing for me is talking about things, being open and honest. I've confided in a few close, like, girlfriends and a few male friends as well who have gone through, like, similar situations. So, like, having them to talk to has been really, really helpful. And I find that, like, the more honest I'm being, it's been so great for my relationships, especially in terms of dating. If I'm talking to someone that I think may have some kind of, like, potential, I kind of put it out there to be like, hey, like, just letting you know that, you know, I'm a survivor, so, like, let's take things slow or anything like that. I found as well that, you know, exercising in terms of, like, going for a walk, like, going to the gym and just, like, punching the shit out of something, like, you know, a boxing bag or whatever, always just, like, gets that frustration and stuff out. Even therapy, therapy's sort of a double-edged sword. It can be really great, but then other times I feel like it makes me feel worse. So sometimes it's more, yeah, like, talking to my friends to give me, like, I know you and I love you and this isn't your fault and you're strong and, you know, just that reassurance instead of having to, like, rehash all the awful details like you do with therapy sometimes. That's all for today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club, the sex edition. I hope this discussion on post-trauma sex has helped those that have experienced any form of sexual harassment or sexual assault. I knew going into this episode it was going to be tough. I knew it was a very taboo topic, but just because something is deemed taboo doesn't mean it shouldn't be talked about. I hope any survivors listening today, hearing Em and Sandra talk about their experiences after their attacks, will help them realize that they are not alone. And I really do thank Em and Sandra for being so brave today and speaking with me and telling me their stories. If this episode was at any time triggering, please contact 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline Australia at 13 11 14. I will see you all next week for another episode of the Nasty Woman Club, the sex edition. Episode two will be more of a lighter episode. We're going to be speaking with a very talented woman that has a career you may be surprised is counted as being in the sex industry. I think you all will find it to be a very entertaining and fascinating chat. And I cannot wait to speak to you all next week and talk about one of our favorite topics, sex.